Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Bethel, today we have a special treat, um, and I'm going to let Pastor Ron Lewis kind of help lead me through a service that would probably be too difficult for me emotionally to do um, without him. You know, we're going to go back and forth, but he's going to ask me some questions. Um, it allows me the freedom to react, and, um, and I'm just grateful to get one of the fathers in, in the faith and friends of our ministry, Pastor Ron Lewis. Pastor James, thank you so much. Uh, Lynette and I love you and, and Miss Debbie. Uh, you guys are treasured friends for us and you have really helped us enormously in New York City in ways that nobody else could have been able to help us. So because of that, we wanna have a, and just keep our discussion ongoing because of the desperate times that we're in right now, it requires desperate measures using technology and bridging from New York City right into Nashville, Tennessee. Pastor James, please just take the opening comment here. Uh, what a season we're in. Um, we know it's been there, but now that we've seen it, been confronted with it afresh, uh, it's time to talk about it and believe God for a great, great move of His Spirit and something good to happen to finally break us through in this current situation. Um, um, thank you, Pastor Ron. I'm happy to be on with you today. And um, obviously, we're in a sobering moment. Um, our world was already going through a pandemic, trying to fight off a virus. And yet that virus that for African-American people or people of color, they've been fighting for some 400 years. Some would even say longer. I mean, that virus has um, come to somewhat of an apex. And so um, we have done the hard work of trying to come up with a lot of steps uh, to deal with the COVID-19 virus, but yet we still are without um, some real fundamental basic solutions um, for the African-American, especially the African-American male, to actually have life. And so, um, as you see, protests breaking out in every city and um, and people frustrated and, and angry, it's very easy um, to focus on, on looting, arson, and, and the negative things that no reasonable person or believer would condone and, and lose sight of the issue. And the issue is quite emotional. Um, I even began, as I began to speak, I can feel my emotions beginning to well up. The fact of the matter is, is that um, we've witnessed another senseless death of an unarmed black man at the hands of people who are in, in authority, police, when, and we should be able to trust that. And um, it's a very grave issue. It's a serious issue. And um, I tell people all the time, um, I made the mistake of watching a video early in the morning before I had really cognitively uh, awakened uh, and, and seen an officer on the neck 
of George Floyd. It's a hard scene for most yeah. African Americans and, and and men, not to exclude other people. That's a devastating scene because it's a reminder that racism is alive, injustice is alive, um, and that um, the man you see on the ground could have easily been me or one of my three sons, and his life is gone. We can't get him back. And I frequently think about the abbreviation of my life or my kids' lives or lives of other great leaders or African Americans that I know. And and it becomes a very difficult narrative. Yeah. Pastor James, thank you very much for sharing your heart and your, you know, and your yourself with us. Uh, Pastor James was just a part of our, he's on our board of directors at our church in New York City. Uh, we've been friends for two decades and have been working together on many different projects in many ways and, and really have had the wonderful experience of getting to know each other. And you grew up in Detroit. You did not grow up in, um, in a luxury uh, place and uh, you were in the hood. And you basically have already experienced and seen just about everything. And then when we get to this, and and you have you basically you press through your your background to get an education, become uh, a well-established businessman in in the Nashville community, and then you begin to face it there, not like it was in your past. You would think that African Americans sort of like at a certain point they're trusted or they're empowered, or they're basically left alone or treated like everyone else. And yet it, it's proven that that's just not the case. And uh, as, as a white father, uh, you know, I've never had to sit down and have that conversation with my sons. Like, hey, when you get pulled by the police or if you ever get pulled by the police, here's what you do. We've never had to do that and never even thought about it. And even little things like uh, I was interviewing um, many of my pastors at a round table uh, about three or four years ago. And I said, how many of you, be real with me, how many of you were pulled aside by police for no reason? And every one of their hands went up. I was like, what, are you serious? Now I've been in this particular issue of the racial divide and the in systemic injustice, systemic racism uh, bias, prejudice. I've been in this discussion for 30 years. I had a, a definitely my moment of impact was exactly 31 years ago. I know where I was. I know exactly what I was doing. And God opened my heart. And I began to weep like a baby for basically three or four days. And then God took me on a, a research path. And I began to see that these things aren't just made up. And we can never get to any point of reconciliation until we get to a true acknowledgement of what has happened, even going back 400 years ago, as painful and as horrifying as that is, to where we are today. Um, thank you for saying that, um, Pastor Ron, because that's a, that's a truth and it's a hard narrative. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna start here with addressing a few things and I'll, and I'll progress. Um, it, it is, a lot of times um, you look at a person who may be of my ethnic background 
And I think, um, and I've talked to enough white friends to know and enough, enough people in my membership and I've been around um, a white community long enough to have these real conversations that when I'm looked at, there's a certain level of fear that's there. And I, I don't know if it would shock people to know that in private mostly, there's a conversation I have almost every year of my life, four or five times, I'm trying to keep the number small so not to overwhelm you. And the statement will go like this, you know you're a big man, you're, you're a big scary black man. Your bald head scares me, your beard scares me. When you, when you do this or when you move too fast, it, it, it scares me. Is it all right for me to tell you that? And, and over the years, I realized, so my existence troubles you. And again, having three boys who look like me, who you want to protect, knowing that they live in a world where, where their existence may trouble someone. And, and this is not a new story, you know, if you go all the way back to you know, Mayflower and Christopher Columbus and Jamestown and, and receiving um, the first slaves. And, and we can see throughout history that no one's been ignorant of what it meant to own people, to dehumanize people. And every person from different ethnicities to the business class um, to the governmental society made excuses, even the church, for racism, dehumanization, the enslaving uh, of men. And even, you know, in, in Virginia, when they, when they were trying to decide, they, they were telling the missionaries, you need to minister the gospel to these, uh, these, the, these slaves so they can get saved. And, and the missionaries didn't necessarily want to minister the gospel because ministering the gospel may be, mean you're spiritually free, but they didn't want it to make it mean freedom from your chains. And so they made laws that allowed you to accept the freedom in Christ without accepting actual physical or literal freedom and then created up systems to keep that going. And so I, I've been telling my friend after reading um, this book, The Color of Compromise, it really uh, by Jamar Tisby, and I'm not, that's not necessarily an endorsement, it's just a book I read that I, but I felt that this sequence actually helping and he says in the sequence a lot of times we want the the picture of reconciliation you know the white and the black hand together like the icon of our church um right. without the work of reconciliation because and go. so there, therefore what happens is you 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 get a shallow representation that's a, a window dressing or a picture but but as you go deep deeper you fracture because you're not bearing one another's burdens because it's not based in truth. So really, to get to reconciliation, you have to start with truth, the truth of what actually happened, what's really right. real, why is there a disproportionate representation of minorities in confinement? Why don't they fare well in education? Is there, why is their family fundamentally broken down? Why is such a small amount of people and the African-American community becoming college educated, especially when it comes to men, there's more people in prison and African-American men than actually in college being productive. That, that's connected to something, so you have to deal with the truth. And then somebody's got to make a confession, right, wrong, bad, good, Conf confess, you know what, and confess, here's my part in the right, here's my 
pardon the wrong. You you have to deal something with the truth, and then making confession, and then after that, you can do something that we all as believers know we need to do. Every believer has to do this: repent, repent. You know, a, a change of mind, a change of direction, to go the other way. So. Even when we think about repentance, a change of mind, we know the mindset is not changed yet. We know it's not changed. This is another indication that it's not changed. Um, sure. We know that uh, going the other direction, the, going the other direction would save my life, save your life. So, and then, and then once you have tr true repentance, you can have reconciliation where you're doing the work of exchange. Hey, what am I willing to adjust and you're willing to adjust so we can, we can have that harmonious you know, uh, move. So yes, historically, the way I've been looked at throughout my life, I've had to deal with um, this fear that paralyzes people from seeing me as a human who can make a contribution that they don't need to be afraid of. They actually can benefit from my life. I'm grateful to be a part of a church who loves me that way. I'm grateful to have friends who love me that way. But I do believe that the prop that it's important for me to say that I don't think this problem has been eliminated just because we have a percentage of people who have decided to actually walk together. So we still need to deal with things of our of our past. Yeah, it's kind of like we we've crossed over into into a, really a significant moment where we, uh, blacks and whites really have an opportunity to be together. Uh, we're we're certainly out of certain eras where. Uh, that was prohibited, and we're together. You and I are friends. I have many African-American friends. They've added incredible value to my life, and we're not colorblind uh, because there is a real significance in our pigmentation, our culture, our ethnicity. There's a significance in who we all are, and we need each other. We need to get to know each other. So we're, we're enjoying something right now that's a gift to us, that Jesus Christ has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall between God and man and between Jew and Gentile or whatever ethnicity, black and white, Germans and Jews, Japanese and Chinese, the list goes on, of what the Lord has done. And we have that, we can enjoy that. However, in this nation, at this time, we have evidence now that has become instantaneous evidence. We have Ahmaud Arbery, we have Breonna Taylor, we have now this with George Floyd, and there's a whole litany of other precious people who have been devalued to the point of them being killed. And this is breaking our hearts. We still have this problem. And so let's start with the church, because in society out there, we have limited control. I mean, the laws can do one thing, but people can break the laws. But let's talk about the church. What do we need to do, Pastor James, to get to the other side? We need a lot more understanding. White people really need to have a lot greater understanding of what African-Americans have endured and gone through. It's not an illusion. It's reality. And everyone has a story. Everyone. Every African-American has a story. Yeah, you know, um, I'm sitting here, and I just want you to know uh, who are watching, I have nothing pre-planned. So anything you hear me say, it's, it's, it's just raw, what's coming out of me. I don't, so the thoughts are coming to me as, uh, you, uh, as they come. And I was thinking, and, and this could be a, 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 maybe a humorous moment, but I was thinking, it used to be a negative statement to say, uh, when something bad happens, you feel like, hey, where's your black friend? 
you know, like, you know, it's a little joke. Yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a black friend. And I thought to myself, I like that. I like that. What can you do right now? Get yourself a black friend. I didn't even care if you, why you get them. Because the thing is that in the church, one of the things that we have to make sure is that we have a, a relationship with other ethnicities. So, you know, in our church, we have a white South African hand and a black South African hand. When apartheid fell in our South African church, with our every nation churches, a movement of churches, we put that icon of those praying hands together. You know, because this is a representation that is going to take God to fix it. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to take us embracing his heart for diversity. God created all people from one blood. He created every nation of men and gave them the black exact place of their habitation. And he did this that we might seek him. You actually can't have like real diversity and relationship without him. And I'll say one more thing in the church. The church, we are the leader who when no one else has the answer, we have the ultimate answer. When no one knows why is this going wrong, we know exactly why it's going wrong. And we actually know exactly who to go to and exactly what to do and exactly how to live. We as the church have to be the answer in private and, and I challenge even myself on this, in public. There you go. And when yeah. we go, we go as a body together. Yeah, and that's really important right now because I think that part of what we're dealing with here is the uh, complicitness of the white community of, number one, not understanding, and number two, when these kind of injustices have happened, oftentimes the churches are silent, they're quiet. And uh, that's, that becomes really a problem and that we are called of God, of Jesus Christ, to bear one another's burdens. And at that point, when there's a crime like this, we should be the ones who speak out and say, not only is that wrong, but the racism, the divide, that's wrong. Systemic racism, or even just racism, bias, prejudice, that's wrong. That's wrong in scripture, and that's not just wrong in the world, that's wrong according to our Lord Jesus, who again, our Lord, our master, he would go and minister to the Samaritans. He would minister to uh, the Gentiles. Jesus really showed us a way forward with this. And so it's the acknowledgement now, along with the understanding, it's an acknowledgement. We have to say, this is wrong and be willing to use our voice. We cannot wait, we cannot delay. There was, there's just no excuse. Now this has come out where the whole world can see this man was murdered. And we, every, since everyone's talking about it, including in the church, we have to talk about it in moments like this, where this is coming to us on a Sunday, on a Sunday service. So I, I feel like if we're going to, like we took a look at the past and we know there's systemic racism that has existed and the church was complicit in and other ethnic groups were complicit by their silence, okay? We know that, that what happened in the past is, 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 is presently alive, and people like myself, my children, and black, they are not safe. And, and it, it asked the question, um, 
are we going to make this transition from this past present reality into a, a, a future that's available to those who will trust God, Christ to get it? You know, a question was asked by a friend, are we at a tipping point? Uh, are we at a tipping point where this place that the nation's in is going to, like, propel us forward? And I said it could potentially propel us forward or we could fall backwards through our inactivity or our, our lack. Now, I want to say this because uh, I have an awesome congregation that doesn't hesitate to reach out to me and call me and get on social media and speak up white, black, Chinese, Hispanic. I am proud to be a part of Bethel World Outreach Church right now. I am proud of our legacy of, of 17 years and beyond that I've been pastor and um, I'm, I feel like I'm walking with the right people at the right time, yet I know that there are people who don't know how to move forward, let's say my, my white brothers and sisters, and they ask me all the time, what, what, well, what can we do? And I'm going to tell you something that might be hard to hear, but I, I, I pray you hear me. Number one, obviously, I'll get to it when I sum up everything. Obviously, pray, you know, live right, disciple, preach the gospel. And but as pertains to the specifics of this issue that go along with all of those things, it would be amazing to find African-American people you know or don't know and just tell them you see them. And one of the things that disarms an African-American um, person, at least it disarms me because I can't speak for every African-American. What disarms me is when I hear you say the name Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Rihanna. When I hear those names, it's almost like you see me. And instead of anger and frustration and vitriol and, and, and vengeful thinking, you automatically move to a softer place of sadness that can be healed just by the simple um, mentioning or to say something like, I see the crime that happened to George Floyd and the injustice and inequality within it, and I demand justice that I do as a person of another ethnicity that's not African-American, as a white person. Not, I demand it. And to go to this polarized ethnicity that's been polarized for, 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 for some of us to say it 400 years, we're going to say, guess what? We see you. I take responsibility for my part. And I also say, you know what? I'm not telling you to sit down and I'm not telling you to sit this out, but I'm going to fight so hard on your behalf and the behalf of the Lord that you will feel like, man, I can rest because somebody just told me they're not going to stop fighting until my life is safe. My children's life is safe, and our nation has changed. And if you don't think that makes a difference, it does. It makes a difference in my life. It makes a difference in my life. And when you say it and when you commit to doing it, it makes a difference. So I love when our prayer is partnered with action and participation and, and change. And that starts to shape a future that we can have as a, a church and a, a body of believers together that anyone would want.
Pastor James, thank you. I think you gave us some real, true, concrete, practical steps that we could take as a church family. And when we see this kind of suffering, we know that the scripture tells us that we suffer with those who are suffering. Thank you. We thank rejoice you. with those who rejoice. And when we talk about the tip, the potentiality of a tipping point, what we're saying is that this has been going on generation after generation. And now through social media, we're all confronted with what we have seen with our own eyes, not just heard about it, not just read about it with sprinkled with bias or whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's uh, denying what's going on or if it's not denying what's going, inflaming what's going on. We're looking at it with our own minds and our own hearts and with God there looking at this with us. And we felt personally, I felt outrage. I felt brokenhearted. I felt, I can't believe we're, we're here. And so many emotions as you did, everyone's feeling different things. But I keep going back to after the lament is over, we have to find points of action and entry. And for everyone, I think that's a different response. Only the Holy Spirit can work in us individually with the way we process things and the way that we engage. And I thank God today that I, at least minimally, I get the privilege of doing this with my friend James Lowe and saying, James Lowe, in my watch, nobody is putting their knee on you or your household. I'm with you. And on my watch, I will do everything I can to work with you, to support you, to defend and protect you. Because that's what a covenant relationship is all about. You see, see, even you saying those words, Pastor Ron, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to me when people say the words, but they bring healing. You know, I just felt like, man, I'm not alone. I just saw... You know, you just get images of being rescued. Somebody sees my life, somebody cares about my life. And that's why I'm, I'm glad to, you know, be in a church and a, and, a, and a movement of churches where our, our, our focus is celebrating each other and celebrating each other's ethnicities. And we don't run from the hard questions and we don't run from the hard things. And it's not something that we decided to do today, but it's something that we've been doing. It's been imperfect and, and we, we, it's riddled with mistakes and it's riddled with frustration. But I respect the fact that we are a church and a movement that is at least broaching the conversation and 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 saying maybe I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna do I'm gonna do something, and 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 that I'm in love with, that I'm 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 grateful for because to me that's a part of Christ, and Christ Jesus could have looked uh, took a look at the um, fallen fallen state of humanity. He could have taken a look at the fallen state of humanity and said, hey, I'd just rather start over. But he, he looked at humanity and said, prepare me a body. And he says, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. And he, and he who was rich became poor that through our poverty, uh, through his poverty, we might become rich. He condescended to men of a low degree. He, he, he humbled himself and took on the Form of a he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, though he himself did, did not sin. So, so we have a Savior who who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, who was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. He he has empathy and he has sympathy. He was from a marginalized ethnicity. Um, he was he was arrested without cause. He had a horrible trial. He was a he was an unarmed man. He was brutally murdered on a cross. And I'm telling you, he relates to what we're going through.
And he is an example of how you get involved. You have to get involved by becoming, having that empathy. It's like he became a man, but just put yourself in someone else's shoes and it will produce a level of action in you and fight in you. You'll know what to do. And it's very easy right now for us to take that pain and allow our emotions to run wild in our mind and, and rage against the machine. And I'm not telling you you're not entitled to your emotions, but after you're done with them, after you are in your safe places and home and with your friends and your diverse friends and you, you get it all out, the assignment doesn't change. The assignment doesn't change. You've got to pray and you got to preach and it works. And the proof that this is what we should do is Jesus himself who, who got on a, I'm almost done Pastor Ron, but he, he, he days from his death, when he had the, the crowd behind him and they're screaming his name. And in one of the most wicked empires, the Roman empire that has ever existed, that had slaves and dehumanized women and, and they were persecuting the church and everything. He rolled through that crowd that he could have censored, that he could have, he could have controlled. He, he could have physically changed the laws and the circumstances. He himself, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, could have done something more physically in that circumstances, but he goes all the way to the temple. Yeah. And he turns over tables and he says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And days later, he makes the way for the gospel through his sinless life and his offering his, his death and being raised again, that we can have full life. You might be feeling like being a part of the church is a futile exercise, or maybe you don't know the Savior I know. And I know... Don't know where Pastor Ron's going, but I feel the spirit of the Lord to say, maybe you don't know Jesus. The Jesus I know. He is not oblivious to pain and he's not uh, ignoring the circumstances. He is right there. He is a very present help. And when we answer that knock on the heart and let Jesus be Lord of our life, life has a chance to make sense. You have the opportunity for peace. You have the opportunity for reconciliation. You become the same type of difference maker he was in the earth. And instead of being a polarizing figure that pulls everything apart or tears everything down, you tear, what's wrong is torn down, but what's right is put in its place. And that's to put Jesus in his proper place in all of our lives. And that solves a great deal of problems, my friend. Dare I say, solves all problems. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I think it'd probably be a good moment to pray uh, for anyone who's viewing who really wants to know the answer for racism. Jesus Christ, in one simple moment, in a split second of time, can pull out the racism yes. out of your heart. And the bias and the prejudice and whatever's in there, you know that it's not right uh, to have that in your heart. Please pray for us today, Pastor James. I sure will. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we stand here trusting you. 
We trust you in the midst of the storm that we're in, the confusion that we're in, the chaos that we're in, the fear we're in, the anxiety, and the need for justice and equality to reign. God, there's no other help we know than yours. You tell us if my people are to call by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, you'd hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. We're asking for the healing because this is an indication that we are humbling ourselves. In our humility, God, we say, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. I'm even praying and Pastor Ron is even praying that the things we said were beneficial to the moving forward of your kingdom and moving forward of people. But God, we humble ourselves before you, asking that you would step in and take your place as King and Lord and friend and brother and father and gently lead us to that next place. God, we're praying for the people who are so hurt right now, they can't even look up and see hope. We pray you would send angelic help, you would visit them, that you would cause by your Holy Spirit them to be enveloped by your love. May the love come from the person maybe that they expected from the least. Maybe it's the police, maybe it's the government. God, give us the strength to not allow this to be a moment that divides even further. It's painful we know that you can unite us through the pain. So God, save everyone that calls on your name. Heal all of, all of the broken. Deliver us from every demonic oppression, especially the murderous spirit that comes from hell. Give us peace. It can only come from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is a vital part of life at Bethel. Because of the current COVID-19 health crisis, we are temporarily suspending all on-site prayer meetings, but that does not mean we'll stop praying together. Join us Monday through Friday at noon for a 30-minute prayer call. What a powerful and timely word that we just experienced. If you, in response to that, need prayer for anything, there's a QR code on the screen right now that'll take you to a place that you can get prayer from a pastor or a ministry team member. You can scan that with your phone at any time and. If you haven't yet, find us on social media because it's more than um, just interacting during the week, but it's really doing life together. We're on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and we'd love to see you there. If this is your first time with us, we have a digital connect card. It's really easy to get to if you just look in the chat, if you're on Facebook or BethTheWorld.tv, or there's a QR code on the screen for that as well. We're so glad that you got to join us today at Bethel World Outreach Church. Together, we're reaching a city to touch the world.